A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The New Statesman. The results of yesterday's by-elections are in. Kingswood and Wellingborough, both previous Conservative seats, have turned red in a historic loss for the Tories. Hello, I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor at The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me down the line, I have The New Statesman's associate political editor, Rachel Cunliffe, and The New Statesman's senior data journalist, Ben Walker. And today, instead of a You Ask Us episode, we're bringing you a special reaction to the by-election results. Thanks so much for joining me this morning, Ben, especially you, because I know you've had... I think you've had all in all four hours sleep um, because you were watching the results come in. So thanks so much for pulling yourself together to join us. Um, what time did the results actually come in? I was I was I was shamefully asleep. Oh, shame, shame, shamefully asleep. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> Kingswood, which, as as we know, is a bit more urban than than, than Wellingborough, uh, basically outskirts of Bristol. Although I think Kingswood residents would would quite 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 understandably resent that um that came around about two-ish <laughs> i think one-ish two-ish if i remember rightly it was but it was a pretty quick 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 count there but wellingborough meanwhile took its time got got about as 3 30 getting closer to 4 4 a.m and um there was a complete hash at the end people you know the counters had missed seven votes so they thought, gosh, right, we've got to do a bundle recheck, which prolonged things completely. And I, I was tweeting and streaming. I wanted to go to bed and I did. And uh, it still took <laughs> a long time. Tweeting into the void. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's bring everyone up to speed. Wellingborough was the former seat of Peter Bone, who was suspended from the Conservative Party in October due to a bullying and sexual misconduct investigation. And Kingswood was the former seat of the Conservative MP, Chris Skidmore, who actually resigned over the introduction of new oil and gas licences. Um, and he described the relaxation of net zero targets as the greatest mistake of Rishi Sunak's premiership. And Rachel, you have a good interview with him online. So our listeners who are curious about his resignation should go and read that as well. Both of these were Conservative seats with decent majorities and they've now been taken by Labour. Ben, could you talk us through the scale of the swings that we're seeing in both Wellingborough and Kingswood this morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, decent majority doesn't cover it in the case of Wellingborough. <laughs> that was super safe seat. Uh, okay, so, so so to give a sort of lowdown of the seat, like I say, Kingswood, outskirts of Bristol, you would think, okay, yes, historically this has been battleground Britain. This is the type of seat Labour needs to win if Labour ever fancies its chances of governing this country. Again, they need to be winning there. And uh, the result there, decent enough. Up 10 points, the Tory vote down almost 20 points. That virtually is in line with what we're seeing in the polling. So Britain predicts, again, once more, I'm, I'm delighted to say, actually got this one almost bang on. So um, what, what did they come up? Up 10, Tories down 19, 20, and reform 
up around 10 points as well. Okay, so in line with the polling, 400 plus Labour seats, if that was repeated nationally, that's what the polling is implying. Um, Very comfortable Labour landslide on its way in Kingswood. Do note, though, that in Kingswood and indeed in Wellingborough, this is the first time the reform vote is living up to what we're seeing in the polling. So I've, I've been saying this on numerous occasions, there's very little evidence that the reform vote is actually there. It's more like a phantom voter of very irate, understandably, voters who, you know, want to want to say up yours to the system, up yours to the establishment parties. But when it comes to voting, they just don't exist. They don't bother. They're not enthused. For the first time, we're now seeing otherwise. And that suggests twofold. One, it's a vote that maybe the Conservatives could squeeze a little bit at the next election. Uh, research shows as many as, well, between one in 10 and one in three of reform voters can go back to the Tories or go over to the Tories. The rest of them, though, it, it's more likely than not they won't. Um, and that, that that does mean, yeah, something for, for the Tories to squeeze, but also extra trouble for uh, the Tory party when the general election comes. Wellingborough is, I think, a bit more of a dramatic result because, like what I said in Kingswood, Labour were up 10 in Kingswood. In Wellingborough, they were up 20. Okay, now Wellingborough, Labour doesn't need if they, if they if they want to gain a majority labor there was very little labor activity i was writing uh for, for i was right i was writing in a piece for the new statesman that um wellingborough is is the kind of seat that unlike tamworth has seen very little labor activity in recent years this is the kind of seat where the labor labor campaign yeah it's, it's freshly imported it's freshly new um, um and and it, it, yeah it, there's not much history there so the the result in wellingborough Huge. That that that's significant. Over and above what the polling shit said. Maybe that might have something to do with the Conservative candidate being who she is and who she is with. Um, but on, on to, to justify, to explain, to to give reason to that scale, I don't think so. I, I think um, in the battleground seats, Labour are quite you know just uh, living up to the polling expectation. But in the Shire seats, the, there's something. It seems to be potentially something a bit more dramatic going on and. Uh, you you can make the argument no seat is a safe seat, but I think there are fewer and fewer seats than perhaps the polling implies that are safe for the Conservatives. And just just another thing as well, this week we've had one or two polls showing the significant uh, na- significant narrowing in Labour's support, maybe a consequence of the Rochdale Farrar or something related. Um, the the two by elections simply assert that the Labour lead is closer to twenty points than it is eleven points. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that overview, Ben. It was really useful. So actually, we should talk about the individual circumstances in Wellingborough, which you hinted at, Ben. Um, It was Peter Bone's partner who was selected as the candidate there for the Tories. And Rachel, you were on the ground there reporting a few days ago. I wonder if that came up as one of the reasons that voters were were put off from, from voting Tory there. I'm not sure that that was a key voter concern, but I think it was a key factor in how little the Conservatives were actually campaigning in that seat, how muted the Conservative campaign was. It did come up a few times that people really didn't like Peter Bowen. It was quite similar when I was hearing to when I was in mid-Bedfordshire in the run-up to that by-election in October, which was Nadine Dorry's seat. And there was Mm. a huge amount of anger at her having taken the seat really for granted there. And again, there was anger in Wellingborough that he'd been an MP for uh, 20 years almost and 
they didn't feel that he had really advocated for the, the seat or got the things done that they wanted, hadn't got the funding they wanted to reinvigorate the high streets and obviously all those issues that you regularly hear in by-elections about potholes, about NHS waiting lists, dentist waiting lists, school places, all of, all of that. So they didn't feel that he properly advocated for them. Um, most of them, I think, like that was that was the key thing. But there was very, very little campaign activity on the conservative side when I went. I asked several times if I could meet the conservative candidate, Helen Harrison. I asked if I could speak to her on the phone. Uh, I asked if I could come door knocking with her. And they kept saying, no, she's too busy. She's too busy. Um, she wants to prioritize going out and knocking on doors and, and meeting people. And that wasn't the impression I got, shall we say, when I was there. The Labour campaign team that I followed so that they saw the reform people out and about a fair amount. They hadn't seen the Conservative people out and about. People on doorsteps hadn't been canvassed by her. And I went to their campaign office. So the Conservative campaign office was using Peter Bowen's old constituency office and it was completely dilapidated, uh, paint peeling, door very much locked, lights off. We looked through the through the the window, no sign of any kind of activity. So it almost felt like the Conservatives had given up on the seat before even properly getting started, which is really interesting because as Ben said, that this should have been a really, really safe Tory seat. I think John Curtis said it was the second biggest swing in post-war history. The Labour campaign when I was out there said that they were, they were that they hoped they were in with the chance, but they were really stressing that this was not one of their target seats. And had the by-election not been called, had it been a general election, they wouldn't have had this on their list of seats that they thought they could possibly win. It wasn't anywhere close to being a marginal. So I think something quite interesting happened there with the Conservative campaign, with the way that the candidate was chosen. Obviously, there was speculation that perhaps uh, Peter Bowen's girlfriend was chosen to prevent him from causing any more trouble running as an independent. Um, obviously, they they deny that. And the uh, Conservative campaign, I did speak to the camp campaign. They stressed that she was a local councillor. So she was absolutely the kind of person you might choose to be the local candidate. And they said that the reason I hadn't been able to speak to anyone when I went to the office was because they were probably all out door knocking and I had just missed them. So make of that what you will convenient that yeah um and i was in um kingswood which i suppose got less attention than wellingborough because it was a you know less of a um safe conservative seat labor has won it you know in recent memory in the past more of a swing kind of suburban seat that you would have expected labor to win in these circumstances but also because the seat is actually disappearing in the boundary review to be sucked into a new seat bristol northeast and into some of uh jacob reese mogg's seat which um is northeast Somerset um, another neighbouring seat? So actually, you know, Damien Egan, who won for Labour, he was until he became candidate for this seat, um, the mayor of Lewisham Council in in southeast London. Um, he'll only be MP for this seat and up until an election, and then he will be he will go back to being that Bristol northeast candidate. So I suppose it got less attention, but in a way, it was quite interesting as well because. There are all sorts of different dynamics playing out in this constituency, one of which I really caught my eye was that the Tory candidate, again, who was being hidden away from the press and there was no sign of life at the constituency office. Um, I went, I you know, I tried to get into contact like you did, Rachel, many times. 
I went to the constituency um, campaign HQ for the Conservatives, rang the bell. There were lights on inside, so I knew <laughs> knew there were people in there. No one answered. You know, I waited for about an hour, I think, on that high street. Wow. Speaking to people, but also just like waiting to see if anyone would come in and out. No one came in and out. And usually you do get, you do get canvases going in and out. Yeah, dedication. It was raining as well, so... You know, the New Statesman podcast listeners can't say that I'm not committed. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, there was no sign of life there. The Tory candidate was um, running a sort of, as far as I could tell, because I didn't even get to speak to the campaign, a one issue campaign on protecting the green belt, because there are all these plans from the Lib Dem Labour Council in South Gloucestershire to build thousands, I think 8,000 8, odd homes, many of which will be on greenfield sites. Um, and so there's a bit of local... Uh, disquiet about that in the area. What was interesting is that Labour's got quite a firm stance on house building. Keir Starmer said he'd ignore local opposition to house building and that didn't seem to damage them in the result of this election and that was something that Labour strategists were really happy about in mid-Bedfordshire as well. A very different seat, obviously, but with um, similar concerns on the ground about protecting green spaces. So I thought that was quite interesting. And of course, as Ben said, this was one of the seats that Labour needs to win. I think it was put to me by Chris Bryant, who was the MP, who was the campaign lead for Labour there. He said, if we win this, it shows we're on track. So it shows they're on track and it suggests that some of these, um, or at least the, the poll that has come out in a difficult week for Labour following the 28 billion U-turn, but also the unrest um, over their campaign in Rochdale, um, doesn't necessarily reflect what's happening in these classic sort of swing seats that Labour need to win to, to win a landslide. After the break, we'll ask what can we learn from Reform UK's support in these by-elections? Join like-minded readers that support our journalism. Enjoy unlimited access to our writing and subscriber-only benefits from just £2 for two months. Visit newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe two for two. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ben, you mentioned Reform UK and its success in both of these constituencies. Can you tell us how well it did and what it means? Yeah, so um, Form got 10% in uh, Kingswood, 13% in Wellingborough. The Britain Predicts model, like I say, which accounts for the polling, which account tries, tries to get some sort of local variation in, got them bang on in Kingswood and got them also close in Wellingborough as well. This, 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 is, this, is, this is pretty interesting. It's pretty good for them. It's reflective of where they are you know polling nationally and that that's that's something new like i say so um polling nationally has them on nine ten percent sometimes even beating the lib dems in the popular vote but i don't think that necessarily means as we know that's not going to mean they're going to pull away with more seats in the lib dems because we know that um it does mean a fair few things like i say it means the, the reform voter is not a a phantom voter they are people it seems now willing to turn out in two special circumstances by election sure angry voters sure looking to kick the system fine fair but 
that means they may also come out in greater number in a general election because um, the one thing I always kept making was comparing reform to UKIP. So in the previous by-elections gone by, in Selby, in Tamworth, in uh, every other by-election, really, reform was never living up to its expectations. It was never living up to my model. It was never living up to the polls. Now they are. When UKIP was having a go at all this in 2010 through to 15, when in 2012 they were polling around 8, 9, 10%, sometimes pipping the Lib Dems, in by-elections they were always doing better. They were always doing better. So if you remember cast your eyes back heads back to uh rotherham 2012 november um of course yeah south yorkshire coal fields were a bit more responsive to the radical right but you know you came away with 22 percent there all right and the clear second they got 15 percent in corby which is neighboring corby in northamptonshire in november 2012 when they were polling nationally seven eight percent so ukip during their rise, they were overperforming the polls. They were outperforming them. Reform here are living up to them, which is something new, which does change the debate slightly about, you know, um, can the Tories squeeze them? But it also does mean there are quite literally votes, not just leaving the Tories for the apathy, but leaving them for reform as well. And, you know, when, when you defect from one party to another, it's very, it's very hard to get them back. It's when you go from your party to apathy, to indifference, that vote, the party can normally rally you back when the campaign comes what's happening is a lot of the tory base is now finding a quite comfortable home throughout much of the end of boris johnson's premiership this trust is a lot of it a lot of the labor lead was more a consequence of tory apathy than labor rise i've said that many times now not not so not so if we, if, if you look at the uh, tory base uh, let's say 100 tories who voted for boris johnson in the room around about um what is it, about 15 15 of them are going labor and around about 10 to 15 are going reform and there's around about oh 10 15 25 and there's about 20 or so maybe 30 or so going undecided apathy tories think they can rally that back but that number, that number of apathetic voters was much bigger than it used to be. It was much bigger then than it is now. The reason for that is because a lot of them are now finding home with Labour and reform. Big problems for the Tories. That's really interesting. And Rachel, Rachel, what does it mean for the internal dynamics of the Conservative Party that this, you know, reforms showing in the polls is now translating into by-election results? Panic, I think. <laughs> um, I, I agree with everything Ben said. I would add, though, that uh, if reform were going to do well anywhere, you would expect them to do well in Wellingborough. Uh, UKIP came second in 2015. It was one of the highest leave voting constituencies. And so if they're polling at 10 to 13 percent nationally, you would expect them to be doing slightly better in Wellingborough than that. Um, because obviously that that's not evenly spread. And um, I thought the managing of expectations in reform was quite interesting. I spoke to Ben Habib, who's the deputy leader and was the Wellingborough candidate, and I asked him what a really good result would be. And he played it very safe and he said, come in third. And obviously they did come third. Um, and you know, that, that that is a great showing for them, given that it's, it is the first time that they've achieved that level of support. But still... At the time that he said that, the bookies actually had them as more likely to win the seat than the Conservatives, which is pretty huge. So I think they've still got some work to do if they, and let's just say that if they hadn't had a good showing in Wellingborough, they wouldn't have been able to suggest that they were going to have a good showing 
anywhere. So they, they hit the level they needed to to maintain that momentum. But I'm not sure they went that far beyond that. I think the point about uh, conservative voters not just staying home, obviously lots of them did stay home. The turnout for both of these was very low, but not just staying home, but directly switching to either reform or labour is really interesting and should have the conservatives worried. One of the things that the Labour campaign in Mid-Bedfordshire said to me is they were hoping that the Mid-Bedfordshire result would demonstrate that Labour can actually win votes directly from Conservatives without them having to go through a kind of protest party first. They can get Tory to Labour switches. And that was really evident. And one of the things that I found really striking, speaking to Jen Kitchen, the Labour candidate, now going to be the Labour MP for Wellingborough, is in 2019, she was the Labour candidate for the seat next door, uh, Southampton, uh, Adrian Edson's old seat. And she just talked about the difference campaigning in 2019 to campaigning now, uh, just the reaction she was getting in some of the rural areas. She said that basically they got harassed on the campaign trail in 2019. They had voters kind of saying, we don't want to talk to you. She said, setting their dogs on them throwing nappies at them. She said she dressed up in sort of countryside gear, barber jacket at Hunter Wellies to show that she was not not, not some urban metropolitan <laughs> elite, that she was kind of from the area. She understood the countryside dynamics and she made it sound like she felt quite intimidated on the campaign trail. Obviously, that was only four years ago. Uh, the difference in reception she was getting um, and that really should worry the Conservatives because that kind of tells you that the vibe, the momentum has completely shifted. And the idea that there are some parts of the country that simply will not countenance Labour just isn't the case, even in places that were considered very safe, even in places that had a very, very strong Conservative vote, people are still willing to to hear Labour out. And that's really worrying. It's also worrying for the right wing, I guess, of the Conservative Party that have been pitching this message very, very strongly that all the Conservatives need to do is to veer right, go harder, take a tougher line on immigration, take a tougher line on Brexit, be more anti-woke, basically be more like reform. And then they can just win back all the reform voters. Obviously, there was that there was that poll in the Telegraph that suggested that was or that was framed in such a way as to suggest that, that would be successful. The reform vote in both constituencies is only like it's about the same as the Labour majority. And we have seen polling of reform voters that show that they're not straight Tory switches. They're not they're, they're not the kind of voters that if the Reform Party wasn't there would just go, oh, okay, I'll go back to, to the Tories. A lot of them would vote Labour, a lot of them just wouldn't vote. So the Reform lead is kind of not big enough that you can just add it to the Conservative vote and go, oh, they, they would have won that seat. So it's really difficult because the Conservatives are being squeezed. Some of their voters are going to reform and they do want to have a line on immigration and Brexit, but some of them are going straight to Labour and some of the ones who are going to reform don't want to come back anyway. So there isn't a clear tactic that would enable them to win those voters back. Yes, and 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 some of them will be those who might have registered a protest vote via a different party, say, like the Lib Dems. Um, so it's not clear cut. I found the same thing in Kingswood, actually, in terms of straight Tory to Labour switches. That was coming up a lot. People were were swinging from one to the other. 
Um, and what I heard was fairly similar. I don't think they'd had as torrid an experience as, as the Labour candidate had that you described, but they were saying, people are now saying, I used to vote Tory, I'm going to vote Labour this time, and I'll tell you why. Whereas they didn't used to get that, you know, and I want to, you know, keep you on the doorstep and have a long conversation with you about why I want to switch. But again, the main things that were coming up, admittedly, from people who who have been campaigning on the doorstep for Labour, you know, they did tell me it is mainly disillusioned with the Conservative government still. Partygate being a classic thing that still comes up. Um, it's a very emotional and personal thing for people, which is how one of the campaigners put it to me. And I think we sort of underestimate that kind of in the Westminster bubble, don't we? We think that it was a story from a couple of years ago. It's it's not. It's still very much on voters' minds. But also all the public realm stuff that we've been talking about, the state of the high street. There was there was there were weeds growing on the clock tower on the high street when I where I visited in, in Kingswood, shut up shops. Um, these things people notice, you know, fly tipping, dog poo, all of those classic signs of sort of neighborhood decline. But then also in, in Kingswood in the wider Bristol area, apparently there's no NHS den dentist places. And this was where that picture, that slightly dystopian picture of the queue that formed outside a new dental surgery that opened up at the beginning of February was taken, where police had to go and manage the queue. That's how um, desperate people were to try and get an appointment. So that came up a lot as well. Um, so, you know, it, it's a bit of disillusionment with the Tories, but also a sort of state of the nation kind of feeling of, of decline as well that was coming up there. Um, and Ben, we mentioned it earlier in the conversation, but this has actually been quite a bad week for Labour um, in terms of what's going on on the ground in the Rochdale by-election where they've had to disown their candidate and also another candidate close by because of remarks um, that they've been making. You know, one of them was reflecting anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. One of them was talking about Israel. Um, and it's sort of brought up all of these divisions within the party over anti-Semitism again. And this was off the back of the U-turn over the £28 billion green investment uh, pledge, which again was sort of leaked before time and has suggested that there's a bit of disquiet in the party over that as well. Um, do these results mean that the party can turn a corner on this or do we just get plunged straight back into the sort of Rochdale Farago next week? Two weeks. Is, is it next week or it's the week after, isn't it? It's twenty uh, ninth. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're, we're, so, going, we're going to learn 29th, whether yeah. gorgeous George is going to be back in Parliament. Uh, we don't really know yet. It's going to, <laughs> that's, going to, that's going to be actually Rochdale is going to be fascinating, but it's not going to have serious, I think, implications for how politics nationally is going to go. Uh, and and it, here's the thing: I wonder if it's you know a little bit concocted by us. Thing you need to bear in mind. When it comes to Israel and Palestine, Britons are, by and large, they don't they, they have they have condemnation for both sides. It's, it's actually quite a reasonable position to take, um, but they don't really want to be as involved with it as perhaps others activists online do. A lot of them, unlike the uh, war in Ukraine or other other conflicts, um, <laughs> Iraq, even uh, Britons don't want to take sides or positions. They, they they kind of more like we know both sides are terrible. I don't really want to talk about it. It's not an issue that factors high in the mind of the media in Britain. So I think when, when media coverage focuses on it and for us surrounding it in the Labour Party, I think Britons by and large are quite quite switching off. I don't think it's been noticed much either. I can't remember which pollster did a which stories have you noticed this week 
but I don't think it factored highly. I actually think uh, Labour's twenty eight billion factored higher than that, and, and on that in a moment. So, so in terms of terms of Rochdale, I think it's something that that that's very much we're all focused on. But I don't think many Britons are. Nevertheless, I think there is a quite a serious problem with Labour's relationship with Muslim voters. One poll, Salvation, did see them crashing from eighty something percent to sixty something percent, which hey is you know a complete twenty point fall when you're up ten points nationally. It's it's quite 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 a significant shift and um something to bear in mind is if in a lot of our muslim seats that will mean a slight fall or stagnance in the labor vote in a, in a lot of muslim seats so um something to bear in mind there in terms of the other story that 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 probably should have given labor a bit of a headache the 28 billion u turn um i yeah. think i think this is actually um the lack of response, the lack of change in public opinion is a bit of a consequence of how cynical voters have become. So um, the enthusiasm for the two main parties isn't huge. Of course, Labour has a comfortable 19-point lead, but the appreciation from voters for Starmer or Sunak, you know, once you tot up the number of voters who like Starmer or Sunak, is pretty low, right? Mm -hmm. You had the expenses scandal in 2009, didn't you? And in 2010, running up to it, you did have political figures that Britons feel they could rally around. David Cameron had around about 50 to sometimes 60% favourability amongst voters. Starmer's got nowhere near that. Now, Keir Starmer, of course, is most likely to lead Labour to a potential landslide win, but he doesn't have that. And what that suggests, and then the enthusiasm, by the way, for Sunak is next to non-existent, what that suggests is very little enthusiasm for politics, for politicians, and indeed for political promises. So I think it's almost baked in that U-turns on big budget commitments is is, is going to happen anyway. It's what I've noticed as well. Um, the best time to raise tax is now because voters are already feeling the squeeze. They won't necessarily be able to tell which of the squeeze it is. Voters are already feeling cynical now. Don't they, give them ideas. <laughs> well, we've just, um, as a borough council, we've just raised council tax last night. So, um, uh, understandably, of course, it's how budgets are. I, I, should, I shouldn't really laugh about that. It's not ideal, right? You know, it's how the situation is. It's how mm. council budgets have been cut to the bone. But, um, uh, you know, I think now is the time, you know, get the pain out of the way now. The cynicism is there now. The apathy is there now. Voters kind of expect it. And voters already feel the squeeze, so they understand, I think, that when you have to abandon big budget commitments, you turn it from a commitment to an aspiration. I think voters, by and large, get that. Yeah, and it's interesting because I... So I asked Chris Bryant, who was running the the campaign as the Labour MP sort of campaign lead in Kingswood about this, and I was... I. When I asked the question about the 28 billion and how it was affecting voters in the constituency, I actually apologised for asking the question because I said, I know it's a very Westminster question. And he actually said, no, no, you know, he was like, is that OK, it is a Westminster question, but it's actually quite a good question because he's, he actually admitted it had come up. And, you know, bear in mind, Kingswood, Bristolian, suburbia, there's quite a lot of enthusiasm for the Greens. Greens did quite well there. Um, they, I think they're up three or four points um, and, you know, the Greens are the biggest party on the city council there as of last year. So there's there's quite a lot of, sort of green enthusiasm in the area. And also there's a manufacturing jobs history there, Rolls-Royce, Airbus, PAE systems. So there is interest in this switch to green industrial jobs. And he said it had come up, um, but his take on it, and of course, you know, this is the take of a Labour politician. He was saying that people was, were saying, well, at least, you know, at least you've said now you're not going to do it rather than waited to get into power and then 
dropped it like so many promises are broken. That's his spin. It's not something I heard from any of the voters there, but it was interesting that it, that had actually come up, whereas I think much less so um, what was going on in Rochdale. All right. Well, thanks so much, both of you. Um, this has been really good analysis of, of the by-election results and will, of course, be reflecting on the result from Rochdale as well in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleagues, Rachel Cunliffe and Ben Walker. We'll be back on Monday to discuss the dire state of local councils across the country. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.